0: I'm going to ask those of you who are here this morning, if you'll stand as we read God's Word. For those of you who are watching online, you are welcome to stand as we read God's Word. We're going to be reading Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 18, verses 13 through 18. And here, hear the Word of the Lord. It says, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I I have been remarkably and wondrously made. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Heavenly Father, as we, as we dive into your word, as we consider this idea of being made in your image, pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, grace to understand, and that we would view every person as one beautifully and wonderfully made. In the image of God, it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen. You guys may be seated. Well, before we, we jump into the sermon, let me just uh, again say this uh, for those of you who are here and those of you who are who are watching. Uh, we we desperately wanted to have an outdoor service to gather all of New Breed together, um, and we knew there was a chance of rain. And we were trying to to wait to make the decision, and so we were torn between waiting until this morning to call it or calling it yesterday to give people time to adjust. Uh, The ground is very wet outside, even though it hasn't rained that much, and so... Uh, It would have been tough to run all of our equipment, but we've not given up on it. We are still going to try to do here in the next few weeks an outdoor service, but we are kicking back uh, kind of our limited gatherings. So this week we have folks with the last name A through L, those of our members who are here with us. And for those of you who have last name M through Z, we invite you uh, to come next week. You can register online there uh, on our website, but we're going to try as best we can to start getting some brothers and sisters back together in a safe way. I know... It might not look like it. For those of you watching, there are people without masks on up here, but we have spaced them out, and everyone who is out here has masks on, and um, so we are, we are doing our best to, to be safe. But this morning, um, I'm glad you're with us in whatever capacity, we are actually beginning a new series entitled Race, Justice, and the Cross, Race, Justice, and the And the cross. I know that we had planned to start a series on biblical friendship this week, and we will still come to that series on biblical friendship. But the Lord was just really leading and pressing on me to spend a few weeks kind of thinking through these ideas of race, justice, and the cross. And I know that we could spend quite a good bit of time on this series, Uh, we could spend a lot of time unpacking those ideas and those topics and what the Bible has to say on them. But we're just going to take a few weeks and focus on a few key topics. And the reason for this series at this particular time is probably not too shocking for you. Our country right now is is wrestling through these issues of race and justice. Uh, There is a lot that is seen, a lot that is said, a lot that isn't understood. And, And I believe that there is a momentum building that will cause something to happen in our country. But in all honesty, I'm not sure what it's going to cause. I I couldn't tell you that, but, but I just have a hard time believing that we will just go back to how it was. You know, with all that's going on in our country right now, there are lines being drawn. There are lines in society that are saying you are either on this side or you are on this side. And there are lines that are being drawn in the church when you consider ideas of race and justice and the gospel. And people are saying you are either on this side or you are on this side. And the reason for this study, in some sense, is because I'm tired of the lines. Like, in all honesty, and I hope you hear my heart in this, I don't really care what people label me. I don't care whether they really agree with me as long as I can say I'm holding fast to the truth recorded in Scripture and I am representing my God well. I'm going to be frank with you. I don't really care if you consider me an ally. I don't really care if you consider me a Marxist. I don't care if you consider me anti-racist. I don't care if you say I've been compromised by critical race theory. I don't care if you say I need to do more. What I care about ultimately is whether or not I can stand before God at the end of this and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And the amazing thing about our God is that so many of the questions that the world is asking right now and so much of the pain in our nation is addressed by God in His Word. So over the next few weeks, we're going to see what God has to say about some of this, not all of this. Over the next few weeks, we will consider things like what is biblical justice? We will consider white supremacy and its roots. We will consider racism and partiality. We're going to dive into some of these things. And again, in this series, ultimately, our aim is to be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ as we live in a fallen and broken world. Our aim is to be salt and light in a world that is lost and dying and to truly be ambassadors for our God. And so this morning, where I want to begin with this series is considering this idea of made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. And here's why I want to start here. As you know, Jesus, because we repeat it frequently, because it's important, Jesus summed up the entirety of the law by saying, love God and love people. And in order to do those two things, you have to have a proper understanding of the one you are called to love. We would say all day long that, that what causes us to love God is when, to truly love God, is when we know who He is. As we grow in a po- proper understanding of, of who God is and, and what He's done for us, it stirs in us a genuine love for God. Would you agree? I have people now, I can ask questions and not assume that people are shaking their head. This is great. So I'm going to do it again. Would you agree? Okay. All right. Sorry, it got me all excited. I don't know where I am. As we grow in a proper understanding of God and who He is and what He's done for us, we grow in our love for Him. And I would contend that the same is true about people when we begin to understand the uniqueness and the beauty of mankind made in the image of God, we will begin to love with a heart like Jesus. You know, I was recently sitting with a group of pastors of different ethnicities uh, from different parts of this city. Uh, We were meeting, and and the the purpose of this meeting was we were concerned about what's going on in our city, we're concerned about what's going on in our nation, but we are particularly concerned about the response of some churches to it. And, And one of the pastors there rightly said, and this is a paraphrase of what he said, but he said, at the end of the day, what we have is an imago Dei problem, meaning the image of God. And he said, we have people who fail to see the Imago day in other individuals. And it is the reason we are in the situation we are in. And by and large, I agree with that assessment. Because if we are ever going to be faithful in terms of thinking through issues of race and justice and the Christian response in light of the cross, we have to begin with a proper understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. And so this morning, I want to offer you four truths from the verses that we just read that help us better understand being made in the image of God. And hopefully, this will be a helpful start for us as we faithfully seek to consider race, justice, and the cross. I'm hoping that as we consider the fact that we are made in the image of God, we are laying a helpful foundation on which we can build. So here's the first truth I have for you this morning. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. Look again at verse 13 and then at verse 15. In verse 13, the psalmist here is David, and David writes, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And then verse 15, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. And, and, and the psalmist acknowledges that ultimately his existence in this world is a direct action of the divine hand of God. For it was you, God, you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And why this is significant is that it points to the truth that not only were Adam and Eve created by the hand of God in the image of God, but all mankind since is created by God in the image of God. So when we go back and we look at Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And this passage is not merely reserved for Adam and Eve, but all mankind is made in the image of God. And that's what David is recognizing here. Now the question becomes, and it is a very important question, what does that mean what does it mean that we are made in the image of God? And what does it reveal about us? And I would say what about us reveals the image of God? Well, there are three facets to being made in the image of God. Uh, this is something that, that is a very interesting thing to me. You might have remember we briefly talked about this at the very beginning of our study in Habakkuk quite a while back. But, but, but what constitutes being made in the image of God? It was actually... Uh, a topic that I took for one of my major theological papers in seminary and and wrote on this very thing. But but I would contend there are three facets to being made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God has a structural, a functional, and a relational reality to it. A structural, a functional reality. And a relational reality to it. So here's what all that means. So first, the image of God has a structural reality to it. In that, we possess something unique within us as humans that make us structurally different from anything else that was made by God. For example, we have a soul. And nothing else that God made does. Right? Despite popular opinion, not all dogs go to heaven. They don't have souls, but we do. We have a conscience in that we think in moral categories of right and wrong. And this is unique to us as being made in the image of God. Now, some people would argue, it's legitimately been argued, well, what what about animals? Because animals know something is right or wrong. You can train a dog to know that something is right or wrong. Well, you're not actually training them in terms of how they understand moral categories. They just know that if they do this, this action happens. But, but they're not rationalizing through it, right? Your dog's not thinking, I should really not poop on that couch because it is a morally wrong thing to do. No, they're thinking, I shouldn't poop on the couch because they're going to throw me outside in the rain again. I don't I don't have a dog. I don't know what you do when they use the restroom on your couch. Right? We think in moral categories of right and wrong. And that's why when God tells Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, you are free to eat from the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam and Eve were able to understand that command of God in terms of moral categories. That it is right to do this. It is morally right, and it is morally wrong to do this. They were able to understand that God was telling them there is something that is just objectively right and something that is objectively wrong. Now, I want to acknowledge that sin has tainted this. So we, in our flesh, have a temptation to call good evil and evil good, but we still recognize that our moral categories, the presence of a soul within us, it is evidence of the fact that we have been made in the image of God. It has a structural reality to it, but not only a structural reality. The image of God also has a functional reality to it, meaning the image of God is not just about who we are structurally, it is also reflected in what we are meant to do. Again, taking into account the fact that the fall has tainted us, when we were created, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created to be obedient to God, to function in obedience and to do what was morally right. They were called to also exercise dominion over the earth, to function as those who would exercise dominion, to care for it, to nurture it, and steward it in others well, all ultimately for the glory of God. That's why immediately after Adam and Eve are, are made in Genesis 1, after, after that pronouncement of we have made the male and female in our image, we read in Genesis 1 verse 28 that God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, the earth and subdue it rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth god didn't say that to anything else he had made he wanted his his creations that that are made in his image to function in a particular way that reflected the image of god imprinted on them now again sin has tainted this but it has not removed it from us completely But finally, not only is there a structural reality, not only is there a functional reality, but there is also this relational aspect to being made in the image of God. This relational aspect. So I like how Michael theologian Michael Horton says it when he writes this, that to be created in God's image is to be called persons in communion. There was, think about this, there was no moment, he writes, when a human being was actually a solitary, autonomous, unrelated entity. Self-consciousness always included consciousness of one's relation to God, to each other, and to one's wider place, to one's, I'm sorry, to one's place in the wider created environment. So being made in the image of God means that we were made to live in relationships, not only with one another, that is significant, but primarily, more importantly, we were made to live in relationship with God. And again, no one else or nothing else that was made by God lived in the type of relationship that Adam and Eve entered into with God in creation. And the reason for that is because mankind is made in the image of God. There is something unique about humanity. Now, we know that sin sin has tainted all of this. Sin has tainted the structural reality in that we will often call what is good evil and what is evil good. Sin has tainted the the functional reality. We don't exercise dominion like we should. We are not obedient like we should. Sin has tainted the relational reality in that we are born in sin. We are born separated from God because of our sin. We're We're not neglecting any of that. But again, sin has not removed in totality the image of God. That's why David can write in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And yet here in Psalm 139, 14, David can also say, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. So how is it that David can say, I am conceived in sin and yet also say, yet I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That there is value and worth In creation. Well, because David, though he acknowledges the devastating reality of sin, he also acknowledges that that sin has not done away with the image of God imprinted on him. He is still made in the image of God. I like what, what Michael Heiser writes here when he writes that ultimately the Bible indicates that the image of God inherently belongs to all humans equally and immediately the Bible deliberately presents the image of God as that which fundamentally distinguishes humanity from the rest of earth's living creatures. And he goes on later on and says, the image of God, listen to this, the image of God is not a quality within human beings. It is what humans are. Every human, regardless of its stage of development, is an imager of God. And this imaging is neither incremental nor partial, nor does it derive from a physical or spiritual ability. Rather, it derives from being created as God's image. And if this is the case, which I believe it is, then it means that every human being, because they are made in the image of God, has intrinsic worth and value. Now hear me when I say this. This means that the intrinsic worth and value of a person does not depend on what that person does in life. It does not depend on what they do. We do not, or at least we should not, fundamentally value a human life based on what that human life does, but rather the image that life is created in. And we'll talk more about this in a moment in our next truth because this is a very important distinction that intrinsic worth and value does not depend on what you do. But I want to move on and let me offer you the second truth that I want you to see. So we've established that all human beings are created in the image of God. Here's the second truth. Recognizing the image of God is an act of worship recognizing the image of God is an act of worship. Look at verse 14. David says, I will praise you. Why? Because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. So so, so check this out. So as David considers how he is made, right? See, there's no way that he can say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and not be reflecting on the fact that he's made in the image of God. And so, as David considers how he is made, recognizing, again, he is knit together by the hand of God, therefore in the image of God, it drives him to worship. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Church, listen to me, the realized image of God imprinted on us, the realized image of God imprinted on us, and every human being should drive us to worship God, and in recognizing the image of God, we are worshiping God. Because I would contend that only a Christian can actually recognize the image of God in a person, because only a Christian knows the God who who individuals are meant to reflect and so as we see people as image bearers it is in and of itself an act of worship charles spurgeon once wrote this he said those who wish to praise have subjects for adoration ready at hand We too seldom remember our creation and all the skill and kindness bestowed upon our frame. But the sweet singer of Israel here was better instructed and therefore he prepares for the chief musicians a song concerning our nativity and all the fashioning which precedes it. We cannot begin too soon to bless our maker who began so soon to bless us. Even in the act of creation, he created reasons for our praising his name. And so what Spurgeon is getting at is that as we consider the amazing reality of human beings created by the hand of God in the image of God, we have reason to praise and it should lead us to praise. Spurgeon started and said, those who wish to praise have subjects for adoration ready at hand. That's us. He's saying, if you want a reason to praise God, look at the image of God imprinted on you and worship. Look at the image of God imprinted on others and worship. We have subjects of, that, that should drive us to worship and adoration already in front of us when we look at God's creation. But let me say this as well. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this is where it's going to get Thick. If the realized image of God imprinted on us and every human being should drive us to worship, and if in recognizing the image of God we are worshiping God, then the alternative is also true. When we fail to see the image of God imprinted on human beings, when we judge their intrinsic value and worth by what they do rather than who they are, we are failing to worship God for who He is and what He has done. And listen, a failure to recognize image bearers' intrinsic worth and value is nothing less than robbing God of worship. And brothers and sisters, too often in current discussions of race and what is going on in our country, there is a failure by Christians, because they are the only ones who can do this, There's a failure by many Christians to recognize the image of God imprinted on every human being. And I'm going to be frank with you, brothers and sisters, it is disgusting to me that rather than grieving the loss of one who bears the image of God, many proclaiming Christians' immediate response is, well, if only they would have complied. If they just wouldn't have been doing this or doing that. If they wouldn't have run away. If they wouldn't have fill in the blank. And it is disgusting that too many Christians are more disturbed by the loss of property and looting than the loss of life when someone kneels on an image bearer's neck for nearly nine minutes. And what this shows is that people are evaluating a person's worth based on what they do rather than the fact that this person was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Remember, intrinsic worth and value does not depend on what a person does remember the image of God is not a quality within human beings it is not based on what we do it is what humans are and to think that Christians can go to church on Sunday and truly worship God while failing to recognize those made in his image it is incompatible with the Bible I mean first John 4:20 says if anyone says i love god and yet hates his brother or sister he is a liar for the re, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot cannot love god whom he has not seen we cannot say that we love and worship god and not genuinely love people and value the, them for the fact that they are made in the image of god and sadly this is not new quote-unquote Christians in this country have been doing this for a while. Peter Randolph, he was a man born into slavery. And he was emancipated at the death of the plantation owner. He became a a believer and a pastor. And while reflecting on, on Randolph's beliefs, one author notes this. It says, as he attests, so as Randolph attests, it was not the faith with which he had a problem. However, but rather preachers who got caught up in the spirit of worship on Sunday mornings and then would whip an enslaved woman on Monday morning. He declared that, and this is Randolph speaking, such preachers ought to be forbidden by the laws of the land ever to mock again the blessed religion of Jesus, which was sent as light to the world. And brothers and sisters, we cannot maintain a slaveholder's mentality when we look at the world and think that we can step in here on Sundays and worship faithfully. Recognizing the image of God is an act of worship. And a failure to recognize the image of God imprinted on every human being hinders any real worship. I'm looking at the clock and I'm going to move on to the third point. Here's the third truth this morning as we consider this idea of made in the image of God. The image of God spans a lifetime. The image of God spans a lifetime. So every human being is made in the image of God and seeing and valuing the image of God in a human being is an act of worship. But we have to understand that this image of God, it spans a lifetime. Look at verse 16. He says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. I mean, that alone is an incredible statement. Uh, he, he says to God, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and plan before a single one of them began. Now what's interesting to note is that that word that's translated here, I'm reading from the CSB, that word that's translated formless in Hebrew would translate more accurately to be, to be embryo. And so David says, God, you saw me, you knew me, and you loved me even as an embryo. And this is why we say that life begins at conception. Because the image of God is already present as an embryo. As an embryo, we bear the image of God. Therefore, an embryo has intrinsic worth and value. And this is why as Christians, we stand vehemently against abortion vehemently against abortion it is sin it is a failure to recognize the image of God on an individual and therefore a failure to give God the glory and the praise and the worship that he rightly deserves but what I want you to notice is this as well David doesn't stop at the embryo it matters hear me it matters but he doesn't stop there and he says all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And so what David is communicating is that God cares about the entire span of someone's life. We bear the image of our God from the moment of conception through every breath that we take on this world. The whole span of life is significant. But what this means, brothers and sisters, is that if we are truly pro-life we are not just against abortions yeah. Yeah. if we are truly pro-life we are not just against abortions yeah. now let's be let's at least be honest with our terminology because there is a difference between being anti-abortion and pro-life right. there, there is a difference Because to be truly pro-life, you have to value life for those in the womb until they reach the tomb. We we don't just value life in the womb, but we value it. Like one of the things that I want to guard against is also pitting abortion against racial issues. Because the believer should fight for all of it if they're genuinely pro-life. Now, if you're just anti-abortion, at least own it. We don't just value the life in the womb, but we value the life once it comes out. Yeah. And this, brothers and sisters, when, when, it, when this truth is truly internalized, it will lead us to do what the people of God, living as exiles, were called to do in Jeremiah 29.7. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. The reason that access to health care matters, the reason that education matters, the reason that police brutality matters, the reason that these issues matter is because they are all pro-life issues. Let me, let me use biblical terms. They are all imago Day issues because the image of God spans a lifetime, and if we are Going to value the image of God, people are made, and it means we have to see the image of God in people throughout the entirety of their lives. The image of God spans a lifetime. Spans a lifetime. Here is the fourth and the final truth that I want you to see this morning. We must think like the one whose image we are created in. We must think like the one whose image we are created in. Look at verses 17 and 18 there. David says, God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast the sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. And what the psalmist is revealing here, what David is, is, is worshiping and reflecting on, he, he, he reveals an awe and a wonder that God would even think of him. That God would consider him. He, he, is, he is pushed to a place of reverence over the fact that God would love him. The love of God fills him with wonder. To again quote Spurgeon, he says, It should fill us with adoring wonder and reverent surprise that the infinite mind of God should turn so many thoughts towards us who are so insignificant and unworthy. And David is in awe of the fact that God would think of him. He's in awe of this fact that God would think of him even though David knows he is a sinner unworthy of God's love. Yes, he is made in the image of God, but David has rebelled against the God in whose, his Im, in whose image he is made. He is deserving of wrath and judgment and eternal separation. He does not deserve the thoughts of God. He does not deserve the love of God. And yet he is amazed that God loves him still. And we too are made in the image of God, but we are also dead in our sin. The image of God is not done away with because of sin, but like David, we are condemned by our sin. And yet, God loves us. God loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel declares to us that God loves us as sinners made in His image. He loves us. He loves us so much that He sought to redeem us and in so doing redeem the image of Himself that is on us. That's the beautiful message of the gospel that mankind has rebelled against God. We have sinned against God. And yes, we are made in His image, but it does not change the fact that we deserve wrath and hell and separation for all of eternity. But God thinks about us. And God loves us. And God sent Jesus to walk on this earth to live perfectly To perfectly fulfill the structural, the functional, and the relational reality. To perfectly fulfill the law. To be everything that we couldn't. And he deserved no death and no separation. And yet he willingly went to the cross and God poured out all of his anger and wrath and hatred of sin on Jesus. And he was crucified and raised from the dead. And because of what He has done, God can look at us. And if we have placed our faith in Jesus and repented of our sins, God looks at us and He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus and His righteousness. God loves us. And what is so amazing, brothers and sisters, is that the cross is not only our means of salvation, but it is the means God uses to renew the image of God that has been tainted by sin. Charles Ryrie once wrote that regeneration and sanctification serve to renew the believer according to the image of Christ, to whose image we shall someday be perfectly conformed and only grace can do this. We, church have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. We who have been redeemed should long to think like the one whose image we are created in. And this means that we look at every person made in the image of God with hearts of grace and mercy and compassion and a longing to see them made right with God. Because even when our behavior didn't merit it, God still loved us. Even when... We didn't comply, God still loved us. Even when we did what we should not have done, God still loved us. Even when we ran from Him, God still loved us. And He seeks to renew people made in His image. And church, we have to, we have, to have that same mind if we are going to be faithful. Faithful. We have to have that same mind and we got to be honest about what that means for us because it means that as we engage in what is going on in the world around us, hear me when I say this, if you are engaged in what is going on, if you are protesting, if you are posting, if you are doing whatever you are doing and the gospel is absent, you've missed the mark. You've missed the mark. You're not doing anything of any eternal value. Yeah, we fight for systemic change. We, we fight to see, to see people value, but our greatest weapon is the gospel. And so a part of what we are doing, the primary part of what we're doing has to be sharing the gospel with those who are lost and watch as God renews people and makes, makes them into the image of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we we love people well. We will honor God whose image we are made in. We have to love other image bearers. And in so doing, God will receive all the praise and all the glory and all the worship that He alone rightly deserves. And so my prayer for us as we embark on this series over the next few weeks is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to maybe change some thinking. And Some of you might be listening to this and you might have been like, amen, amen. I agree with everything that you just said. Great. Part of the reason that we teach is also to equip you to share those truths with those who might not agree. To be faithful, to represent the gospel well as we go and engage in a lost and dying world, a world that we are called to be salt and light in the midst of. And so let us be faithful to run hard after Jesus. But to do it well, valuing the image of God imprinted on every human being. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this precious reminder that David penned, but all, ultimately, God, it was, they were your words. Lord, I thank you that we are reminded that we are. Known by you, God. We are crafted by you. We are knit together by you. We are known and loved. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I pray that as we see that, we will worship you. As we see that the image of, of, of yourself imprinted on others, that we would drive us to worship God. We would worship. I pray, Lord, that we would value those made in your image from the moment they are conceived until they breathe their last breath, God. That the whole span would matter to us because it matters to you. And God, I plead that you would give us grace to look on other image bearers and have hearts of compassion, and grace, and love, just like you had when you looked on us, God, in our rebellion, in our our wretchedness, and you loved us. You loved us, and it is your love, God. But It's through your love that you offered your son, Jesus, the only way that we can be made right with you. Give us grace to love you well. Give us grace to love people well. Give us grace to speak truth and to run with the gospel into this world that so desperately needs to hear. That your name and your glory and your renown would resonate through every neighborhood, through every city, through every system, God. That your glory would be known. But more than anything, God, we want to stand before you and hear well done good and faithful servants so help us to be faithful it's in Jesus name that we